Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode number four. As always, it's great to be here with you today. And today we have your and my favorite director of clinical education at Isham, Natalie Lynn. Natalie is talking to us today about new employees and that all-important career development. But before we talk to her, let's dive into Mailbox Mania. This week in Mailbox Mania, we're taking a look at the September 2019, Volume 110, Number 3, AORN Journal. I found two interesting articles in this journal titled Surgical Instrument Decontamination, a Multi-Step Process. And this abstract reads, Surgical Instrument Decontamination requires a collective input of facility leaders, OR staff members, and sterile processing department personnel. Individual accountability can ensure that instruments are cleaned according to the manufacturer's written instructions for use, appropriate regulations, and facility policy. Information about instrument decontamination process from the point of use to sterilization should help enable perioperative personnel to advocate and participate in the appropriate implementation of the necessary processing steps. Sterile processing department leaders should develop policies and procedures for decontamination of surgical instruments and devices and the various accountabilities for those process steps. They should also help provide education for their staff members and complete required documentation. This article reviews the steps of instrument cleaning and decontamination and provides a framework to help perioperative leaders and educators facilitate these steps in the work environment, preventing damage, and help ensure safe patient care. Some key takeaways for this article, surgical instrument decontamination requires that team members pay close attention to their specific roles in the appropriate preparation, labeling, transport, and cleaning of the various instruments and equipment used during the operative and other invasive procedures. The scrub person begins cleaning instruments with a device during the procedure and should wipe the instruments and devices with a sponge moistened with sterile water to remove gross soil. Surgical personnel must contain uh, contaminated items in a closed bin or carts during transport from the point of use to the decontamination area in the sterile processing department. When cleaning and decontaminating instruments, the sterile processing department technician should follow the manufacturer's instructions for use for each instrument. Sterile processing department leaders are also responsible for developing appropriate policies in our area, including policies that address accountability for surgical instruments and the steps and processes involved in the decontamination of surgical instruments. So a good article if you're looking to uh, have a complete overview of the instrument process from the point of use to uh, decontamination, I suggest you go ahead and look up this article. It's a good read. The second article that we're going to preview is the Guideline for Sterilization Packaging Systems. So this updated guideline outlines best practices 
related to using pre-purchased evaluation to identify quality sterilization packing systems and considerations that precede packing, such as appropriate areas to perform packing, standardizing procedures, using organizing accessories, and verifying that instruments were appropriately prepared for packaging. In addition, the guideline reinforces the importance of inspecting and maintaining rigid containers. Again, this is a great article. It gives insight to the new guideline. You know, and for more information and to read these full articles, go to AORN.org, look for the AORN journal. You know, these articles and others can be purchased or uh, come with member benefit. So if this interests you, if these articles sound good to you, I suggest you go onto that site and look these up. Um, these articles are also available through the AORN as a podcast. So check those out. Lots of good information from our AORN partners. And that's going to do it for this edition of Mailbox Mania. Our guest speaker today is Natalie Lynn. Natalie Lynn is the Education Director at ISHM and has a wealth of knowledge and experience. Natalie is going to talk to us about two important topics, new employee onboarding and career development. Thank you, Natalie, for talking with us today. Let's go ahead and get right into our first question. What is onboarding? Onboarding is a process that helps to integrate a new employee into an organization or into a work group, into a department. And it's a process that helps to ease that transition from external to internal for someone who's new. Isn't onboarding a manager job duty? You know, onboarding is sometimes referred to as a management's, uh, management's duty, but we live in a different different age than we used to. Most departments need help. They're advertising for help. It's hard to recruit people. It's hard to retain them once they come into the department. And we all want and need good employees. So I think onboarding has to be a process that all of us do. In CS, it's a team. Everything we do is a team. So to have one person responsible, the manager will do certain things for onboarding, but I think that the staff also needs to be part of that process to integrate their new coworker into the, the organization, into the department, into the work areas to help to build a positive experience and hopefully create a really good coworker. Can you give us some examples of ways staff can improve new employee experiences? Absolutely. There are a lot of things we can do. And we're the people that say, I really, we need help. We're short staffed. We, you know, we need somebody who's really good. And sometimes we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because while we want that, we don't always create that welcoming um, atmosphere that allows people to, to really come in and be successful. So I would suggest the first thing to do is to talk about what you experience you want for an employee. And you can do that in two ways. You can say, what was a positive thing that that I experienced as a new employee that I think really helped me to come into the work group and to come into the new tasks that I perform? The other thing you can do is that negative thing. Maybe you had a really poor experience coming in to the work group. And, you know, I'll share a, a new new employee story that is my own. I think every new employee wants to do a good job and they want to fit in. And one of the ways you do that is by, you know, learning what you're supposed to do and also by kind of agreeing with people. 
You know, I'm just like you. And I remember as a new employee, the first weekend I worked, someone pulled me aside and said, we don't like Diane. They said, do you like Diane? And what I was thinking is, who is Diane? All you people look alike. You're all wearing blue scrubs and hats, and I don't know your names yet. And then they told me all the things they didn't like about Diane. And it felt really uncomfortable for a couple of reasons. I didn't know who they were talking about. But I also felt like, are they saying that kind of things about me? Are they saying that about my coworkers? And he was really afraid to disagree because I was new and I wanted to fit in. You know, I think of that as a real negative experience because my first weekend, instead of saying, hey, you know, we're shorter staffed on the weekends, but we kind of cover here and there and here's what we do and, you know, we're a good team. Instead, they were saying, you know, that one person that's over there, well, we don't like her. And so I think you can look at negative experiences you've had. Maybe you've experienced being put in a work area and everybody ignores you because it's a busy day or not feeling comfortable about asking questions. And so I think the first thing for staff to do is say, What's our role in this? And then once we know what our role is, maybe our role is making sure that the person that's new is always invited to break. Sometimes we don't even know when when our break time is. Mm -hmm. Where's the cafeteria? Where's, you know, where can I put my lunch in the break room? And things like that. So I think we start looking at those those, um, day-to-day type of things. And we can say, oh, the manager's responsible for onboarding. The manager is probably in meetings, probably doing other things. And it's the staff that's right alongside of these new people. And so how can you create a positive experience? Because whatever you create with a new employee is probably going to stick. So I think it's really critical that everybody kind of know what their responsibility is. Um, And then I think you need to script it. What do you want them to see? Do you want them to see a bad day when people aren't getting along? Do you want them to see someone hang up the phone from a surgery request? and then grumble about how bad surgery is or how fussy they are or picky? Do you want them to see you talking about a physician that maybe has some unrealistic timeline expectations? Or do you want them to see a cohesive group that makes the best out of whatever happens and does the best for the patient? So I think the staff really sets the tone in the onboarding process. What can managers do to improve the new employee experience? First of all, managers are so busy, and oftentimes employees or new employees get get uh, passed off onto somebody else. But I think one of the things that we're really not great at is we do a lot of training, but we don't really train our staff on how to deal with new employees. What we do is we you know we we just kind of figure everybody's going to know how to do, and that's when they see those things that are more negative or when they feel like they don't dare ask a question. You think having an in service, really having a planning meeting. And be letting the staff know. I have seen situations where some new person has started and no one knew they were coming. And they walk into the department and it's like, oh, no, we don't have time for this. So the manager can do some things to let people know. Maybe it's a, a note up on the, on the board that says on, um, you know, next Tuesday, John Wood is starting. He has experience. Wouldn't it be good to know if somebody had experience in still processing rather than somebody who just came in with no experience? You know, he's going to be starting in the decontamination area and, you know, kind of letting people know who's coming in and then also helping them to develop a game plan, helping them to develop what they need to do. Because I think so, so many times we just, we just assume that things are going to go well. And then when they don't, we're surprised and we shouldn't be. So central service still processing staff 
are generally pretty busy, just trying to keep up with daily tasks and activities. This seems like just another duty. Why should they want to take time for this? What's the benefit for the staff? The benefit for the staff is huge. They are literally building a coworker. They are going to be able to build someone who will fit into their team, who will be able to help them to the level that they want, who will be able to work. Have you ever worked with someone where you on a shift, you didn't even have to talk to that person because you knew what they were going to do. They knew what you Mm -hmm. were going to do. And there was just this cohesiveness. Those kind of people don't just drop out of the sky. Those people are built and they're built by their coworkers and they're trained by their coworkers. And if you want someone who is cohesive with your group, who has really good skills, then you really need to roll up your sleeves and help develop that employee into that great coworker. And so there is a benefit for the still processing staff. There's never time to do everything we want. But this is one thing. If we get it right, it's going to give us a lot of support in the years to come. So are there any final thoughts that you have for our listeners? I do. I think it's up to all of us to show a new employee how to come into our work group. I think we really want to integrate them into the work group, not by the old saying, drinking from the fire hose, where we dump all the information them on the first day. But I think we want to bring them and we want to grow them. And we want to say things. And, you know, I'm John, I'm a storyteller. I'm going to tell you another story. People complain about working holidays. A lot of people do. And I remember my very first Christmas in a hospital. One of the people that had been there a while, she took me aside and she said, you're new. In case you don't know it, you're going to work Christmas. And so I got a little piece of advice for you. Go in and volunteer for a shift that you you want so that you just don't get assigned whatever is left over. You know, it was a really nice thing. She let me know, expect it. Don't be crabby when it happens because you're going to have to work the holiday. And, you know, take some ownership. And we all work holidays. And, you know, it was just a nice way to bring me into that. And I think that new employees will develop either positivity or negativity. And if you work in a department that's negative, think about that when you bring a new person in. You know, I I liken it a little bit, and I hope nobody's offended by this, but, you know, when you've got little kids around and you watch your language and you watch the stories you tell and things because you know that they're going to want to be just like you and they're going to repeat things and they're going to maybe, you know, say some things that might embarrass you later on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of normal. But in the same way, they're watching what we do because we're the role models. We're the grown-ups. Well, when you're the experienced staff, you're the role model and you're the grown-up for that new person coming in. They're watching you, whether they say it or not. So be a good role model. Teach them how to become a good employee because you're going to get a great coworker out of the deal. Great. Well, thank you, Natalie, for your insight on uh, new employees. Career development is really a hot topic. Is there a process or a career ladder for central sterile, sterile processing professionals? You know, John, some facilities do have career ladder plans or career development plans within their departments. And I think whenever that happens, it's good to take advantage of that. But I think the field of sterile processing is so much more than what we are doing in our departments. I mean, that's our number one job. But my advice to someone would be to really look at the field, look at the career field, and try to decide what do you want to do with this career field. For example, you might want to look at what your aptitudes are, what your your aspirations are, and you may say, you know, I want to go into management. I want to manage a CS department or 
I want to become a technician, but I'm going to be the go-to technician that everybody asks questions of because I'm going to have the best expertise. And every department desperately needs someone that is that in-house expert. Maybe you say, I want to go into education. Or you want to work for a vendor. And a lot of CS people end up working in the, in the field, working for vendors. So I think my, my first piece of advice to people would be to really find out what the options are and find out what you think you would be good at, what you think you would really excel at. I know in my career, and I'm probably at a good place to have this podcast because <laughs> I've been doing this for 40 years. And for those of you that think that's incredibly old, it is. But it has gone by in a blink. And I knew early on that I probably wouldn't be very good working for a vendor. And I'm sure there are many vendors who would agree. But for myself, I went into education after I got my experience. So again, what do you want to do with this career field? I think that's the most important. Uh, What can someone do to advance their career? You know, this is an old-fashioned thing, and it's been said a lot, but take advantage of every opportunity. I think you should treat your career like the old saying, eggs in a basket. Every time you're given an opportunity to attend a seminar, to take an online class, to do a job duty that you haven't done before, to stretch a little bit and learn a little more, All of those are skills that you put into this career basket. And those skills or that experience may be what makes the difference when it comes time for a future position. Now, I'm going to share a little bit about myself. I think a lot of our listeners probably know that I came into sterile processing off the street. And I used, I like to say, I didn't know a bedpan from a forcep (laughs) back in those days. And I was a tech one. I was promoted to tech two, to tech three to lead. I think some of you are going down that same path right now. I became an ortho equipment tech because nobody wanted to do the job. And I thought, well, maybe it'll be interesting to set up traction and I can learn how to do that. You know, get the beds ready for when the total patients come off of the uh, out of surgery and they have to have a certain setup. I used to do that. Then I got an opportunity to train and I trained people. And why am I telling you this? Because I also got my certifications, those that were available in those days. And the local college decided it wanted to set up a sterile processing program. And everybody wanted that because who wouldn't? You got to go to work in street clothes. You got to have, you work Monday through Friday. You had weekends off, holidays off, big break over Christmas and New Year. Who doesn't want that job? Hmm. No real dirt in Deacon Ham. I mean, it was really a good thing. But you know who got it? The one that had all the experience, that had gotten certified, that had been the trainer, that had stepped out and done other things. And there were a lot of people that applied. Some of them were better technicians than I was, but I just had more eggs in my basket. And I was lucky enough to be selected for the job. So I guess what I want to say is don't be timid. If, if an opportunity to learn something new comes up, do it. Can you talk a little bit about goal setting and how important are goals when you're looking to advance your career? Goals move us forward. We've always got a goal. It can be something as simple as I'm finishing mowing the lawn. I'm going to mow it tonight after work, and I'm going to get it all done. It can be something I'm going to get my house or my apartment clean. We always set goals. But I think for our careers, we always set our goals too far out there, and then we get discouraged. I want to be the director of the department. I want to be the corporate director of sterile processing for several hospitals. 
But there are a lot of little goals between where you are now and where you can get to be. You can get there, but you need to set smaller goals. Getting certified, uh, getting that experience I just talked about. Setting smaller goals, they do two things for you. They help you to create a path to get to that big goal, to get to be the thing you ultimately really want. And the other thing they do is they, they allow you to celebrate along the way because you get to say, wow, I did that. I remember how excited I was when I got my CRCST. I don't even want to tell you what year that was. <laughs> but I can tell you I was not only the first person in my hospital, I was the first person in the state of North Dakota to get certified. Wow. Long time ago. Because there's a, tons of them there now. But that was a big goal for me. And I kind of, you know, wrote on that for a little bit and kind of felt really good about myself. And a couple weeks later, I was like, okay, now what? What's the next thing I want to do? What's the next thing I want to learn? So I think your ultimate goal is the sum of a bunch of smaller goals. And where we make mistakes is we start in our career field, and two years later we think we're going to be running the hospital. Well, we're not. And be realistic and just take the steps you need. Maybe you need to take some college courses. Maybe you need to do some other, get some other experience. But never stop looking for those new goals. When you finish a goal, celebrate it, and then just set the next one. So what would you say to a listener who wants to advance their career, but they're really hesitating to really take that first step? What I would say to them is don't be timid. You know, we all start knowing very little. And um, I'll I'll give you an example. I'm a talker. I'm talking on a podcast. (laughs) And um, for our listeners... John and I recorded another podcast not too long ago, and I went really long on it. So talking in front of people is not a hard thing for me. Many of you have seen me at your chapter meeting or at the Isham uh, conference, and that's just something I do really well. But in 1992, I spoke for the first time at an Isham conference, and I was terrified. I mean, I was beyond terrified. I didn't think I was going to be able to leave my room and go down there because my stomach was upset. I needed Pepto-Bismol because I, you know, that feeling when you think you're going to throw up because you're so scared. Well, that's where I was. And, you know, now I can walk out in front of 1,500 people and it's like I'm talking to friends. Like I'm just sitting in the break room and I'm having coffee with people. And so I guess what I learned from that is that we all start. Everybody starts the first time they give a presentation, the first time they're the charge alone in the department, the first time that they set up an instrument set and nobody's there to check it. Everybody has that thing. So you might be afraid. There may be something out there. Like, I don't think I'm a public speaker. I will tell you a little secret. The first couple of in-services I gave in my department, just to give you an idea of what a great speaker I was, my boss came to me and told me I needed to go to Toastmasters. And that's, a, for those of you that don't know, it's a, it's a nonprofit that teaches people how to speak. So <laughs> it tells okay. you a little bit something. But I guess what I'm saying is the best advice I can give you is that don't be timid. Just step out there. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed. But the people that win are the people that have the the fearlessness to step past that. So that would be my, my big thing. Don't worry. If you want to advance, if you want it bad enough, it'll happen. You may trip along the way, but it won't hurt you. What advice would you give to somebody who has been passed over for a promotion? Well... I guess I would say, I sound like somebody's mom right now, things don't always go our way. It hurts. Um, 
John, I'm a storyteller. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to no, tell no. another story. That's great. Um, I became a Tech 1 and a Tech 2, which were both technical positions. Our, at my hospital, a Tech 3 was a management position. And it's so long ago, everybody that was involved in this is either retired or dead. So I can tell the story. I applied to be a Tech 3. And my director called me in the office and she said, you know, I'm supposed to wait three days and tell you you didn't get the job. There's a surge tech that applied for the job. And the director of our division wants a surge tech in that position. I'm not going to make you think for three days that you have a chance of getting this job, which was a kind thing for her to do. And I can remember I was so hurt and I was so angry. And I told her two things. I said I would be a better manager than she will ever be. That's kind of a little spite coming out. And then I also said, I am never going to apply for a job again. I will die at the instrument table. I will never try anything again. And she said, promise me the next time there's an opening that you'll apply. To which I replied, absolutely not. You know, I walked out saying, I know what you think of me. I know what the place thinks of me now. And it was anger. It was spite. It was being hurt because I really thought I deserved the job. Well, guess what? We had an opening in a few months. I had calmed down a bit. I applied and I got the job. And it was a great job and I loved it. So I think what what I want to say is it's okay if it hurts, but don't let it ruin the rest of your career. Just wait. You'll get another shot. There'll be another opportunity. You know, the old saying, when one door closes, another opens. That is so true. And so let it happen. Feel bad. Just like you celebrate goals, you know, allow yourself to feel bad. Go home and eat a quart of ice cream. It's okay. (laughs) But ultimately, try again. Get up and try again. Or try for something different. Because sometimes it's just a matter of the timing isn't right. Maybe you need to find out. I didn't get, I didn't get selected. Can you tell me what I needed to be considered? And, you know, if they're good, they'll say to you, hey, you know, I wish you would have had another certification. I wish you had, would have had more experience. I wish you would have this or that. And you can take that back and you can work on it. And so I never think that a door closing should ever be the end of anything. So, Natalie, you have a wealth of experience, and you've been in this field for a little while. Have you reached your career goals yet? <laughs> no, I have not. And, you know, I hope I never do, because even though some of them have given me gray hair and they've made me crazy, everything that I've ever pursued has been something that I look back and I'm proud of. I'm grateful for the experience. And I think, I hope that I have so many goals on my plate when I decide to leave the field that I hope that it's just a never ending. Um, I'm getting close to the age where I'll retire. And I've had people say to me, you're not starting another project, are you? And I intend to start projects until I decide that I'm, I'm through with work. And one thing I think that is really important is that the goal always has to be the next goal. The goal is to be the next goal. I hate it when I hear people say, my goal is to retire. You know, I'm 28 years old. My goal is to retire. There is so much life wasted between when you say that and when you actually retire. So, no, I haven't reached my goals. For me, work is fun. And for me, every goal is a new challenge and a new opportunity. And I just hope that listeners look at it that way because 
Retirement comes soon enough, and there's a lot to do between where you are now and that day. Thank you so much for uh, just your advice over the years and really about goal setting and, you know, advancing your career. You know, you can always learn something new. So thank you very much, Natalie, for your time. Thank you, John. And that's Natalie Lynn. Always a pleasure to talk to Natalie and learn from her experiences. Lots of good information we can take and use in our facilities. So again, a big thank you to Natalie for sharing with us today. Isham Nation, it's time to sign up and catch the early bird. Pre-registration is open for the 2020 Isham Annual Conference and Expo. Bringing it home, Chicago. To catch the best deals, you need to register before December 31st. Don't miss out on this deal, Isham Nation. To receive your CE credit for this episode, the code is EARLYBIRD. Simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required info, and select EARLYBIRD to get that CE. So that's going to wrap up the show for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.